that night, penetrating deep into the heart of Transylvania, Professor Abronsius was unaware that he was on the point of reaching the goal of his mysterious investigations, in the course of which he had journeyed throughout Central Europe for many years, accompanied by his one and only faithful disciple, Alfred. Fearless Vampire Killers is a film by Roman Polanski that in Europe was known as Dance of the Vampires. They changed the name for America. But either way, it's still it's a hilarious and creepy, scary movie um, set in the late 19th century. Uh, Professor Abrancius and uh, his assistant traveled to Transylvania Supposedly doing research on bats, but they're actually hunting down vampires. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Roger L. Jackson talking about Roman Polanski's 1967 horror comedy, The Fearless Vampire Killers. Mr. Jackson is a voice actor known for his work as the first Mr. Mucus for Mucinex, Mojo Jojo on The Powerpuff Girls, and is surely best known to horror fans as the voice of Ghostface in Wes Craven's Scream film franchise. Mr. Jackson, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's very nice to be talking to you. I I, I just got chills. Um, I I don't know if I'll be able to continue <laughs> the rest of the conversation if you talk like that, sir. And yet at the same time, I kind of want that to happen. So so we'll uh, we'll see how here it goes. I'll talk to you as Mister Mucus, and that'll cure that. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Coffee Cabana. I, I, this is honestly, I think if you just did that for the next hour, I got to imagine listeners would be just as entertained. <laughs> Very cool. So well, I can talk to you any way you want. All right, uh, well, I tell you what, in any voice, could you let us know, <laughs> given the option to choose any horror film to talk about any at all, why is it that you went with the fearless vampire killers? Well, um, I, it's one of my favorite horror films, um, and I like a lot of horror films. I like film in general, but uh, I don't think it's as well known as it deserves to be. You know, it surprises me how many great films there are that people, especially younger people, just haven't seen. And uh, this film can, as I say, is not well known. Roman Polanski is not in fashion nowadays, but it's. It's fun and it's genuinely creepy. 
Yeah, it really is. And I'm glad that you chose this movie. It's part of the fun in doing this podcast is uh, not only, you know, uh, finding great guests to be on, but also seeing what they would uh, elect to choose. And a lot of the time, the fun is going back and revisiting certain movies that maybe I hadn't in some time. And I got to admit, you know, when when I was a youngster, when I was getting into uh, horror films and films in general, I I sort of would choose a filmmaker and try and exhaust their filmography, you know, going through the movie by movie. And of course, I came across Polanski's work fairly young. And I got to say, out of all of his movies, Fearless Vampire Killers was the only one that kind of left me a bit cold. And I hadn't revisited it since that first viewing on, uh, you know, full frame VHS back in the day. But I got to say, watching it again for this chat, I, I have a newfound appreciation for the film. I think I was too young to appreciate it fully when uh, when I caught it initially. And rewatching it now as, uh, you know, a guy in his late 30s, you know, uh, it, it's a really, really great film. It's uh, it's gorgeous and kind of chilling at times and really funny. And, uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a hell of a choice to talk about. Now, I don't know if you saw the, the cut version that used to be available, but... Uh... Nowadays, the version that's available for home video and uh, viewing on um, the streaming services and so forth is the full film. Uh, that's that's a great thing that that's available again now to see. Because initially, um, MGM cut you know, cut about twelve minutes of it, which is doesn't serve. But the film now is is there. It's terrific. I love. I mean, I just I love the way it opens just with the MGM lion growling and then suddenly it grows fangs and turns into a green-skinned vampire (laughs) (laughs) a cartoon vampire and uh you know just right from the get-go you know you're gonna have fun yeah absolutely and it, it is such a fun opening too that we go from that bit of animation to you know sort of those animated titles and yet like and maybe it perfectly sets up the tone of the film that we have this playful opening, and yet the music is kind of chilling. It's kind of haunting. It really does set sort of set the tone, I think, for what we're about to see because, you know, it is a great horror comedy. And it's funny because, you know, most horror comedies, I think, are just comedies with horror settings and tropes. And, uh, you know, watching The Fearless Vampire Killers, the mix of horror and humor there is really impressive you know neither sort of dulls or dilutes the other and uh you know there's so many sequences i think that sort of serve both the horror and the you know uh, think of the scene with uh say sharon tate in the bathtub early on when it begins snowing and in the room and you realize the window above her has been opened and the count floats down and attacks her (laughs) and it's it's beautiful and it's frightening and it's chilling and then two seconds later Polanski's character sees what's going on and he makes this squeaking scream sound when he sees what's happening and the movie becomes (laughs) hilarious again, you know? Yeah, and then you see that little bit of blood on the the suds in the tub, like blood in the snow or something. uh, There's so many wonderful little grace notes like that. And I I was uh, mentioning the actors too. There are some of the there, it's chock full of all these terrific uh, character actors, um, like, uh, well, you know, Alfie Bass who plays Shakal, the um, the the innkeeper, the the Jewish innkeeper, 
It was he was in a million things. He was in uh, Alfie with Michael Caine. He was in the Lavender Hill Mob. He was in Moonraker. Um, he he is great. I love it when he gets turned into the vampire, and he's Jewish, and he goes after the the buxom maid who works in their in their uh, inn, and she holds up a crucifix to scare him off, and he just waves his hands and goes. Oi, have you got the wrong vampire? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that that seems to be his only then, goal. It's the same goal that he had as a human, which was just, you know, he was fixated exactly. on the maid. <laughs> yes, and all all he wants is to be comfortable. Then, I mean, for the rest of the movie, he's just trying to find a place to sleep, to lie down. And the village idiot who is uh, plucking the, the goose at the beginning of the film, who, who has, I think, one line is Ronald Lacey, who, again, he was in lots of movies and television, but he's probably best known as the well-dressed Gestapo agent in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really? Who melts at the end. Yeah, that's him. Holy cow, I had no idea. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it yet again. And Jesse Robbins, who plays Chagall's wife, played Ringo's auntie in Magical Mystery Tour. She was in a lot of movies and TV, too. Yeah. And she is so much fun in this movie from that uh, that early sequence when yeah. she grabs, what is it, a salami or something to wield it as a weapon going after <laughs> right, her husband? She, <laughs> right. She beats the guy on the head with it. And they're going, you have to put the steak in there. Put the what in the where? The steak in there. In where? <laughs> oh, God. They are. I mean, the cast is brilliant. you know, And it seems like everybody is sort of on the same page when it – when it comes to that tone, which had to have been incredibly tricky. And, mm. um, you know, the same thing with Polanski, too. Like, his skill at handling a lot of those comedic set pieces. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the uh, the spilling wine barrels moment when they're chasing Chagall. You know, one wonders why he never really went <laughs> yeah. on to do more uh, more key comedic work. I mean, when we look at uh, Fearless Vampire Killers, it's a horror comedy. And looking at the rest of his career, if he ever leaned into one more than the other, then I would say it was you know, more horror at times, you know, he would, he would return to the genre a couple of times after that, but I can't really think of any outright comedies he did after that. And it's a shame because he did have a damn good hand at it. Well, he did a comedy later in the seventies that was sort of like, uh, I can't even remember the title of it now, but, uh, it was like an American girl in Europe. And, uh, he, he, he had his, his share of comedies, but he mostly, I mean, his first film, Knife in the Water, is a brilliant psychological film, almost psychological horror, three characters on a boat. And, of course, he's, his name will live forever for this film and Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion. Yes. I mean, <laughs> Repulsion is a tough film to get through. I mean, God, when the the walls begin crumbling apart. The arms come out to grab it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's a rough film, especially the, uh, you know, again, watching the movies when I was fairly young, I, I got to admit the, uh, the final shot sort of uh, uh, went over my head initially. And then revisiting the movie later, you know, not long after it occurred to me that what the, uh, what that final shot means. And it just casts everything in an even more disturbing light. Um, yeah. That's a that's a great makes film. a great double bill with uh, it makes a great double bill with uh, Peeping Tom 
Oh, wow. I never would have even considered that, but yeah. One wonders what might have come of those two characters if they had met one another instead of uh, meeting the ends <laughs> they do. You know, could have been a romantic yeah. comedy. Maybe they would have gotten along. <laughs> now, there you go. A romantic horror comedy. <laughs> we might have had a couple of Why those. Why has nobody those done... I do have to say that I'm Madman, the, the film by a director I really, really like a lot, Tibor Tekax, who yes. did... Um, the gate and you know i'm madman is the only film i've ever seen with a really romantic doggy style scene and it and it's it's a terrific film a great film he's a marvelous director yeah we uh we've actually talked about the gate uh on this very show uh uh it's been about a year or so but yeah his his filmography is a really interesting one uh you know where he he he's directed some features and he's done some really great stuff like the Gate and I Madman. But uh, have you seen the Gate Two by any chance? No, I haven't. I didn't see that. Uh, um, but he directed you know some great television, like some really cool episodes of the uh, the relaunch of The Outer Limits. Uh, I think he also. I was going to say, like, yeah, some uh, soft core stuff too. I think with. Uh, oh, what is that show called? It was a Showtime show, mid nineties. Uh, had the Covney in the it. Chew Diary. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah, I remember uh, doing research for the Gate when uh, when I had that chat, and I remember thinking this guy has had a really interesting career. He also did a few episodes he's of that Crow still... TV show. So I'm, I'm a yeah, he's still nurse. working. I'd I'd love to work with him. He's there's so many directors I want to work with. I just want to work. You got a job? Can you spare five bucks? I don't know. <laughs> now, would would you want to work with Polanski? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's another question. Speaking of horror comedy, there's one of the great horror comedies, The Howling, which is hardcore horror with lots of comedy. I would love to work for Joe Dante. I mean, Joe Dante is just genius. It's so great. Nobody remembers his uh, Erie, Indiana. Oh, I do. This TV show. That was so fun. I remember growing up with that show. That was one of those that it always felt like it deserved another few seasons or a revival of some sort. And yet it's never yeah, really happened. No, nothing's given a chance to, to find its legs. Matinee is so Got to be an too. instant blockbuster. Oh, I just showed my wife that film a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, she doesn't care for genre films too much but she really liked that one it's such a great film again he knows how to cast and he, i like him because he's a director that uses like a stock company i mean you got the great director writer john sales along with dick miller in that film as the the two actors who are helping uh, john goodman pull his scam and, and then you got john goodman of course and, Doing his uh, best, William well, Castle, which is great, and and Robert Picardo, who of course is longtime Dante alumni. Yeah, it's such a great film, and also, I. It's funny that in recent years, it seems like Dante, if not his work, it seems like his. I don't know what I'm trying to say, other than why? Why doesn't he work more? Like why? Why is he still not active? Why hasn't he had sort of a career resurgence that is certainly due a guy with his abilities? I mean, 
you know, even going back like a decade ago when he did those Masters of Horror episodes. Um, oh, God. I think he did two it, of them, but Homecoming I, was just astonishing. Well, the screw fly solution was my favorite of that because it's based on a story by one of my favorite writers, uh, James Tiptree Jr., who was actually Alice Sheldon. Do you, you remember that one? The sudden, Suddenly everywhere... Um, men all of the males start... turn against the females. Is that right? Yes, it's a it, God. It's horrible. Uh, Jason, it's a g- great story, and they did a great version of it. The scene with uh, Jason Priestley and his daughter, and the sort of implication of what happened. I remember near the uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's uh, like ten or eleven years old now. You probably should have by now. All of those out there listening, um, that scene get the discs. Is... Exactly, is utterly horrific. And I love the way that he played that. And you know, it's funny too, whereas Homecoming, I think, played as this brilliant and sort of just razor-sharp satire in a way. You know, it it was very funny for as haunting and horrible (laughs) as it was. The Screwfly Solution, I didn't really find any comedy in it. It's just bleak. It's probably the darkest thing that he's done. It's, it's, yeah, it's deeply horrifying and you know that strange that wonderful strange ending with the one woman the woman who is trying to survive she sees one of the aliens who has done this to the earth to clear it out for them and a and a beagle the the dog's having a lot of fun with its new alien master (laughs) 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 playing with the playing with the new alien overlords i just i uh, I just brought up his filmography and I'm looking at it. It looks like the last feature that he did was in 2014. That was uh, Bearing the X. And then before that was five years prior to that was uh, The Hole. And then five years prior to that was a, uh, oh, it looks like a sequence in an anthology. And, of course, we have some TV stuff in between there, too. But, I mean, come on. Joe Dante needs more work, I think. He needs funding. That's what. Give him funding. Give the man money. And a free reign. <laughs> Let him, you know, give the geniuses something to work with. I do think it was brilliant. Just, of him did, did you ever see the Shadow Man on the the last the eighties relaunch of the Twilight Zone? No, no, no. Oh, you need to see. That. I'll 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 ruin it for you by telling you the ending. Please, shall I? <laughs> You know, I should have seen it by Little this point, boy. especially considering I'm a Twilight Zone fan. There's no excuse for me to have not seen that. A little boy discovers this thing that lives under his bed, the Shadow Man. And the Shadow Man tells him, I am the Shadow Man. I will not harm you. I live under your bed. And the Shadow Man goes out to kill children. So the kid starts using the shadow man to kill his enemies, the people he doesn't like. And then at the end, he's walking down the street and he's approached by the shadow man who grabs him. He said, you can't hurt me. You live under my bed. And he says, I am the shadow man from another child's bed. <laughs> I, I, I am watching that. <laughs> Tonight, uh, I have <laughs> I have all three versions of the twi- – well, I guess there are four if you count the movie too. But um, 
Yeah, no, I have not made my way through all the no. uh, the '80s episodes, and I haven't even really started with the uh, uh, the reboot from the early Again, aughts. with the car. Horror and Comedy and Dante, his segment of the Twilight Zone movie, It's a Good Life. You know, the remake of the original one with the Bill Mummy based on the Jerome Bixby story. And talk about great comedy. William Shallert, another Dante alumni, and Nancy Cartwright, the voice who would become the voice of Bart Simpson. The two of them in that segment where they're He's got the matches and she's got the cigarettes and the two of them just arguing on the stairs in the background while everybody else is doing the action of the scene. Those two should have their own show. <laughs> I swear they were so funny. No, you give me, you give me the cigarette. I'll let you have the match. No, you give me a match and then I'll give you one of the cigarettes. No way. No way. I'll like the match and then you No, you <laughs> That might be I, – I think that is probably my favorite sequence aside from uh... – I, I do love the wraparound, and I do love, uh, to an extent, I love Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, even though I prefer the one from the original show. I uh, I, I love John Lithgow, <laughs> but he, he almost, he never quite builds up to the mania the way that Shatner did in the original episode. Like, he starts at about a 12, and then gets to a 30 uh-huh. by the end of it, you know? And uh but I still, I, I still kind of love it, and I love where it all winds up at the very end. So uh, I don't know. It, it I, yeah. I kind of get the feeling that some people kind of look down on Twilight Zone the movie, or it's not thought of as fondly as the original, you know, Serling years, you know, the TV show. But uh, I think it's a blast. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Jordan Peele does. I'm looking forward to that. I can't very wait. much. I, you know, I, I said that I hadn't gotten around to the reboot from the early aughts, but I'd actually caught a few episodes back in the day when it was airing, and um, it feels like there's perhaps a a swath of fandom that views Twilight Zone as being, uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a creepy theme tune, you know, do 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 do, and there's a twist at the end, and that's pretty much it. You know, and they can tell cool stories. But if you look at what Serling was doing, he was telling really socially relevant tales. And that's something that the reboot in the early aughts, I think, completely missed, at least from what I saw. But um, with Jordan Peele, especially having seen Get Out, you know, taking the reins this time around, I think he's the perfect guy to bring that show back. So I'm really, really excited to see what he does with it. Yeah, me too. That, that was, Get Out was brilliant, just brilliant. And we're getting, you know, in uh, the next year or two, we are getting uh, another feature from him. We're getting The Twilight Zone, and he is producing a Candyman remake slash sequel, Oh, yeah. Uh And I can't wait to see what comes of that, because that is such a great, iconic character who never really got his... his due, I think, after that initial movie. I mean, everybody looks upon that first movie as being kind of a, a classic, and rightfully so. But then, you know, he was trotted out in a couple of sequels. They were kind of... I like the first one, admittedly. The third one is... Yeah. Eh. But um... Well, Tony Todd is just brilliant. I mean, he's a brilliant actor, and he's done so much. Did Did you ever see 84 Charing Cross Road? No. With Anne ba- and And it's not a horror film. It's a true story. Anne Bancroft plays the writer Helene Hamp, who has a relationship with a bookstore in London beginning in the 50s. And Anthony Hopkins plays the manager of the bookstore. And it's about how over the years she buys books from them and she becomes involved in the lives of these people in this bookstore. 
Tony Todd has a bit part <laughs> as a guy renovating her apartment building. And I talked to him about that at a convention once. I said, you know, I remember you. You were in 84 Charing Cross. And he said, oh, man, that was my first movie. <laughs> I love doing that. No, he is. Oh, he's just a, a great actor. He's brilliant. He, I remember, you know, growing up on, you know, the Night of the Living Dead remake, and his Ben is is just incredible. And then Candyman, of course, was terrifying. And yet, you know, even in that first film, before they really delved into his backstory with the sequel, I mean, he created a character who was terrifying and yet oddly sympathetic at the same time. There's something very old school universal horror about Candyman, I think. And um, yeah. And then even, yeah. you know, down to The Crow, you know, he played a guy who should have been kind of a, uh, you know, how many times have we seen a uh, the right-hand man of the lead villain and it's kind of a throwaway role, but he really takes those moments in that movie <laughs> and makes something really interesting of them. I, I think he's incredible, uh-huh. and I'm very curious to see where that Candyman remake or sequel or whatever it winds up being, where it goes, and if they elect to recast him because... I, how the hell do you feel those shoes? I, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, we will have to wait and see. I can't wait. Something else to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, you know, that, so, I, I mentioned universal horror a second ago, and it reminds me that there is something very kind of universal and also maybe more hammer horror in the fearless vampire killers so far as its style goes. You know, I'm thinking of the... Uh, the opening shot that that sort of gorgeous shot of the snowy landscape at night, you know, it looks very much like a hammer film mm. and just the sets yeah. and the lighting and how it looks. And it's gorgeously filmed. And I, you know, if the humor had been pulled out of it, I think it would have been, you know, on par with a lot of the hammer films as far as being, you know, kind of a, uh, creepy vampire tale. But, um, I don't know, but at the same time, there is also this real, energy to the film aside from the comedy uh you know in those early scenes there's always movement the characters are moving the camera's moving in a way that doesn't remind me of old school hammer and you know that kind of approach seems more suited to slapstick or screwball comedy but to me and tell me if you think i'm wrong the movie seems more interested in kind of sly and subtle sight gags to sort of earn a smile rather than trying for big gut laughs you know it's more constantly amusing and charming i think (laughs) Well, more than more than just the laughs, too. I mean, when they go to the castle and when you first see all the graves begin to open and the the vampires coming out, the older members of the, the family, as it were, of the of the congregation, <clears throat> and then, pardon me, and uh, later when they're all dancing, literally dance of the vampires and then they're chasing the heroes and so forth later <clears throat> it reminded me a lot it reminded me of some of the best of uh, eerie and creepy comics the warren books yes like there was a there, there was a story that scared the hell out of me when i read it as a kid in uh, i think it was eerie about a guy the the first panel is a guy standing on a hill overlooking what looks like a deserted town and he goes into the hotel, and they're saying, what are you doing here? Get out of here before the sun goes down. And, of course, it, the guys walked into a town full of vampires with no more humans to eat except him. <laughs> and 
a lot, there, there are a lot of the visual things to the eerie and creepy comics are, I don't know, they're not used, but they're echoed in Fearless Vampire Killers, that the crowds of vampires, and you have nasty old-looking vampires <laughs> in, in um, historical cost. I mean, Richard III is one of the vampires <laughs> in this castle. The Wait, king what? of England. The, yeah, if you watch it, you'll see him in his... Uh, with his hunchback and his well-known headgear that uh, Olivier wore in uh, his version of Rip Richard III. And, and then you see the younger vampires who are less nasty-looking. <laughs> so you've got, got this whole conglomeration of different kinds of vampires here. And then you've got Chagall, the Jewish vampire. Just, just let me put my coffin here. It'll be okay. I'll be out of the way. I won't bother you. <laughs> And the 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 what silent assistant who's <laughs> who who's played the silent assistant Krukal uh, or whatever his name is uh, keeps dragging his coffin away. And that guy's he's played by um, uh, a, a British middleweight boxer <laughs> who, who made movies some too. He's, just great people in this. Uh, Chagall's last moment is fantastic, too, when he finally, you know, you pointed uh, this out. He's just looking for some place to rest. And, of course, there is his constant attentions with the maid. And the final shot is, I think it's meant to be funny. And it is funny to to some extent, you know, him pulling her into the grave and then sort of closing it up, too. It's also deeply disturbing, in a way. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah, that, but, uh, that is also kind of the final perfect note to send that character out on, too, I think. Yeah, well, Polanski just has a great sense of filmmaking. His his visual sense, his his pacing, his understanding of character. He's just a brilliant filmmaker. I mean, Chinatown, uh, his Macbeth, uh, Talk about the Rosemary's Baby. You go on and on. I mean, Repulsion, Knife in the Water. He's just a great filmmaker. He knows his craft. And it's all there in Fearless Vampire Killers. Absolutely. And and again, as you say, it it's funny and it's really disturbing when Chekhov pulls her into the car and pulls the top over him, the both of them. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those moments God. where you laugh and you can't help but feel a little... Uh... I don't know, a little guilty for having done so or a little, you know, just you, you kind of you feel bad for laughing at that moment because from Chagall's point of view, it is it is a comic moment. From her point of view, I mean, that's that is certainly the horror in the situation there. God, what happens when the poor lady wakes up? Um, yeah, but you've seen that she's getting to like he's bitten her once already and she's kind of getting to like it. <laughs> I mean, when when she's and isn't that they, uh, kind of, disturbing? Look, look at the marks too? on her neck. She's just <laughs> playing back and don't look, don't look at me, don't get get away, get away, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, it is. She's liking becoming a vampire. So, but that's what vampires do, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, the flip side of that too is certainly, uh, you know, the the ending. I think, uh, which is, you know, it's a fairly light movie for the most part. But then when you get to the final moments with, uh, you know, poor Alfred being bitten by Sarah, you know, that's kind yeah. of that's unfortunate enough. 
And, you know, one has to assume that Abronzius is, uh, you know, not, not too far from his own fate after those moments. But to have the narrator that opened the movie close it by saying that essentially Abronzius and Alfred were responsible for unleashing, you know, the vampire curse upon, you know, the entire world. I mean, it's it's a grim ending for a yeah. fairly light movie. <laughs> yeah. Hey, vampire apocalypse. <laughs> what? Who can top that? Barrel of laughs. Who's going? Who's going to play after them? <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, that was Ferdy Maine who played Count Krolock as the um, narrator too. Really? Okay. I, I'm wondering if he yeah. was meant to be the same. He did a uh, lot of voice work too. It, are we meant to think that Krolock is narrating? Do you think? I don't necessarily think so. No, it's just he had a great voice. That's why he, he did narration. Yeah. He did voice work. Yeah. So. <laughs> Although there's more to just having a good voice to do voice work. It's about the acting. And he was a terrific actor. Yeah, and he is great as uh, the Count. He, I think he could have stood alongside Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and anybody else in the Hammer Stable uh, and could have, I think, you know, uh, been a great villain in those movies as well. I mean, he is quite funny in the fearless vampire killers, but he's also very chilling at times too. And he definitely cuts one hell of a figure in it. Yes. He's, he's a terrific villain and he has a good hand with comedy too. I mean, he was, I didn't, I don't really care for this series, but are you being served? He was on that. Ah, yes. As a character, <laughs> he was in uh, those daring young men and their flying machines. And, uh, he could, he could do anything. Comedy, horror, drama, a good working actor. <laughs> you know, we we have discussed too, like the the sort of balance between horror and comedy in the movie. And uh, it's funny. I was actually just uh, reading an article in oh, I think it was a new issue of uh, I think it was Dark Side Magazine or Scream. It's an English publication, uh, one of the horror mags from there, and they do this great article on Rosemary's Baby for its fiftieth uh, anniversary, which is crazy. But um, and they cover Polanski's filmography early on, and they take uh, sort of a paragraph or two to discuss uh, vampire killers and sort of, uh, you know, show how he had an interest in horror early on, you know, with uh, with that movie and, you know, even his early thrillers. And, you know, certainly that would follow through with, um, you know, Rosemary's Baby and then Macbeth, which, you know, as he directed, <clears throat> is certainly a horror film, I think. And then even on to the Ninth Gate. But um it's funny, in in talking about the Fearless Vampire Killers, they pulled a quote from him noting that he never intended the movie to be a satire or a parody at all. It was just merely his version of a fairy tale. So whatever horror or comedy yeah. is in the movie, that is merely serving the fairy tale that he was trying to tell as opposed to him trying to aim at a mark, you know, uh, doing, you know, some sort of a hammer pastiche, as it were. Yeah. No, that's... You know the the two the elements highlight and contrast each other comedy and horror. That's one of the reasons I like tend to prefer comedy. I mean horror films with comic elements to it. It's one of the reasons I like Scream so much. That was one of the movies that actually sprang to mind. I mean probably doing no small part to the fact that you know the this conversation that I was expecting when I was watching uh, Fearless Vampire Killers, but also because. Yeah, the, the, the two movies in their way, I think, do sort of straddle that line between horror and comedy. But again, 
I, I don't think in either case the, uh, you know, the, the horror doesn't undercut the comedy. The comedy doesn't dilute the horror. You know, they're, they're allowed to stand and be what they are and sort of weave in and out of one another. And uh, rather than, again, you know, I, and I might be wrong about this, but it seems most of the time whenever something is pegged as a horror comedy, it's just a comedy with, uh, you know, horror trappings, as it were. And uh, I think in Fearless yes. Vampire Killer's case, and certainly in Scream's case, I mean, these are movies that are quite scary, you know, when they need to be scary and quite funny when they're being comedic. And I, I, I love them both mm. as a result. Well, the, all these things that we're talking about that manage the the tightrope walking with the comedy and horror, all the works of master filmmakers, great filmmakers. Absolutely, and certainly yeah, that no, it isn't. I do, yeah. I Polanski is certainly brilliant at it, and certainly Craven was too. He, uh, I'm such a fan of that guy and his work and what he was able to do certainly with that initial trilogy and even the fourth film, you know, uh, in, was it 2011, you know, did you ever, can I ask, you know, just to be a, uh, a bit of a fanboy here because I do love that series. Um, after the third movie was made, did you ever expect that those characters would be revisited again or that you would be uh, voicing Ghostface again? Never, never. I just, appreciated the opportunity of the moment and went on and i'm always glad when something presents itself uh again something i've enjoyed doing and that people enjoy my doing it seems (laughs) (laughs) would you Um, uh would you ever be keen to revisit ghostface again in the future or do you think do you see a future for the scream series now that uh sadly mr craven is no longer with us well, I don't know. Everything depends on the script. Yeah, that's you, you got to start with a good script because the the first film was to, was a brilliant piece of work. Kevin Williamson was a, a, a marvelous writer. I really liked um, what was it, Mrs. Tingle too. Yes, Mrs. Tingle. I I adored his run in the nineties. I. I love the Scream films. You know, the first two that he wrote were just brilliant. Uh, uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle is great. The Faculty, I thought, was fantastic. The one that Robert Rodriguez directed. Um, and even the work that he's done in television, I think, is mm-hmm. great. He's, he's a great voice. And uh, I, w- I would love to see him come back and do another film much like those earlier films that he did in the yeah. 90s. There are, some, there are a lot of, you know, really smart people know to leaven the horror with humor. I mean, great films like, what is it, Tucker and what's his name? Tucker and Dale versus Evil. The Alan Tudyk and, uh, <laughs> y- yeah, <laughs> great picture. Slither. <laughs> Slither was hilarious. I just love Michael. Rooker, Michael Rooker, standing over the, the frozen counter going, meat. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> One word, and he gets a laugh. It's just all right. And there's a guy who can certainly blend like comedy with being menacing. I think, you know, he also in James, you know, uh, guardians films, you know, he's great as that character. He's quite funny. And yet, you know, you would never want to meet that guy in real life. Um, certainly no humor to be found in Henry portrait of a serial killer though. That, uh, no, but a brilliant performance, a brilliant performance. Yeah. He was amazing in that film. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny, though, that mix of, like, horror and comedy, too. I remember growing up as a kid and sort of, um, 
reading Fangoria magazine and remembering like the the funny sort of um, oh notes on each gory picture that they would throw on the each page, or uh, there was even a card series at one point, and uh, you know it made the horror more palatable for. I think younger readers or younger viewers. And uh, I think certainly that's true of, um, you know, I'm thinking of like horror hosts. Um, You know, uh, I grew up with say Elvira and Joe Bob Briggs and, you know, there's that mix of like horror and comedy there where even if the comedy wasn't intended with the horror films, then you could rest assured that on the breaks, they would be there to, uh, sort of poke holes in the movies or allow you to laugh at them a bit. And I, I think that's important oh, yeah. sometimes with certain movies to be able to laugh, even when it's not necessarily intended. Well, everything is national now, but I, I miss the local horror show host as, uh, as you, as you mentioned there, the you know, when I, when I was growing up in Georgia, in Atlanta, we had uh, Friday night's big movie shocker with Bestoink Dooley. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't, he came on, he had this deadpan delivery, black stringy hair and a bowler hat. And, Good evening. Tonight's movie is Werewolf of London. We'll be watching in, <laughs> he just had this great deadpan delivery. And when you're young, you can be really scared by the. I I loved being. I was scared as I would, at the commercials. I would be looking out the window to be sure there was nothing out there. But he would kind of leaven it, and and make it easier. And he he was he was terrific guy. His name his real name was George Ellis. He was an actor who who took that name from a character he played in a movie, Bestoink Dooley. And um, he actually owned a theater in Atlanta, the only art theater at the time when I was growing up, the Film Forum in Ansley Mall. And, you know, you could go, well, a good portion of my time in teenage years was uh, spent at the Film Forum just watching movies, great movies. I mean, they showed Night of the Living Dead, continually and great movies from Europe, Japan, all over the world. Great American classics. To an extent, it seems like the art of being a horror host has kind of been lost or was lost for a time. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I write for a magazine on the side too called a uh, horror hound magazine, and they put on uh, conventions uh, about twice or three times a year. And at one of them every year, they always seem to have a, uh, a get together of all of the current horror hosts. And there are still quite a few out there. Unfortunately, I've kind of moved to, uh, you know, an online setting, but uh, it's great to know that they're still out there kind of doing that. And um, it's something I hope gets resurrected in a way. You know, it's great to see Joe Bob Briggs, you know, uh, doing the last drive in specials for shutter say, and uh, you know, Elvira <laughs> has a comic yeah. book now. Yeah. Apparently old Joe Bob. <laughs> Uh, apparently, Frightenstein is getting brought back uh, in in Canada. So it, it would be neat to see the uh, the era of the horror host kind of come back. Uh, I don't I don't know how, but it would be neat to see to see that sort of take over again. I 
I think, you know, earlier before we had uh, begun this conversation, well, not... when we had messaged back and forth, you had mentioned John Stanley as a uh, a horror host yes. of note. And he is a guy who um, I would I would murder to get this guy on this podcast. I would probably end this podcast with an episode with him because <laughs> um, I uh, when I was becoming sort of a horror fan and a guy who was interested in movies and whatnot when I was a kid. I, you know, this was the mid nineties. The, uh, the internet was sort of in its infancy and, um, you know, I, my knowledge of the horror genre extended only as far as a few books that I could get at my local library, which was not that many. And, uh, you know, the few mom and pop video stores I had around my hometown. So I was very familiar with all of the big franchises and a few of the classics, but not much else. And I remember being at a bookstore, I think it was Borders, uh, rest in peace, um, back in the mid-90s. And I found a paperback copy of a book called Creature Features that I guess was the title of his um, his show back yeah. in the 70s and 80s. And uh, his show in the Bay Area here, yeah. I read that book cover to cover over and over and over again. I made notes uh, in I, I countless notebooks of uh, sort of categorizing all of the movies that I wanted to see by director and by subgenre and uh, just reading them and reading that book over and over. I kid you not. I, I'm not making this up. I read that book until the binding disintegrated and it fell into pieces. And then I taped it back together and continued to use it as a uh, as a resource until uh, – until the net sort of took off, and then I could figure out who the hell this uh, Lucio Fulci or Dario Argento was, or all of these other guys. But I, <laughs> he he played an essential part in my uh, sort of becoming a horror fan. And um, and I'm wondering, he, I mean, I, I think the John Stanley website is still up and running. I've tried contacting him a few times to see if I could get him onto the show. It hasn't worked yet, but one day I have my fingers crossed that uh, that might happen. And yet, you know, it's funny that I have. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of a show. I watched Creature Features when I first moved down here from Georgia. Years until it left. But you're reminding me now of another horror film that's really scary and has a lot of laughs and actually depends on having the local horror show host in the film. He's one of the characters. Fright Night. Oh, God. Roddy McDowell being the local, the local horror show host. Such a great film. Chris Sarenson sent on as the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> William Rags. Uh, oh, no. Was that? Yeah, I think it was William Rags. No, anyway, played, uh, Amanda Bierce. Charlie Brewster. <laughs> and that horrible. Yeah. You're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> Amanda Bierce and the frightening makeup. The Rick to small. But. You know, if you don't have the local horror host, you you miss a little bit of the the pleasure of that movie. Yeah, I did think it was we a need shame more was... local stuff. I think. Yeah, I I think it was very telling when they remade the film and was it 2011? They had to uh, change Peter Vincent from a horror host to a uh, sort of stage magician uh, in order to make him kind of relevant for modern audiences because you know. I, I don't think you could have gotten away with making him a horror host, unfortunately, uh, in a modern movie, which is a shame. Yeah, um, yeah. And I do like that remake. I, I like parts of it, but uh, my God, the original movie is just untouchable. Yeah, it was really terrific. Another great cast, good script, good director. I mean, the effects to back it up, but not dominate everything. I've just always loved horror. You know that, Mr. Jenkins? I... I'm an old man now, but I remember, 
I remember the road warrior. No, I don't. Um, anyway, <laughs> when I, I was a kid, like four or five years old, we used to have these monster cards, collector cards, like baseball cards. I collected monster cards, and I was reading famous monsters of film land, which led me to horror comics, you know, the eerie and creepy and so forth, and it's just, I love horror. Same here. I am uh, now. That's it. That's all I have to say. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so do you? Okay, as a horror fan, would you say you gravitate more towards horror comedies then? Well, as I say, I I do tend to prefer not. Well, horror comedy, like we've been speaking of, good horror movies that are leavened with comedy, not something like. Transylvania six five thousand or or uh, Saturday the Fourteenth, which are just comedy films with <laughs> the layer of horror smeared over it, like a bad PB and J. It just doesn't stick. But um, I mean, even Shakespeare leavened his horrible scenes with a bit of comedy. Macbeth, Titus and Veronica's thinking of Shakespeare reminded me of another wonderful horror film with a lot of humor to it. And that title just went out of my head. No, now it's back. <laughs> I hate getting old. <laughs> Theater of Blood. Vincent Price. Vincent Price and Diana Rigg. Yes, where he plays a Shakespearean actor who was panned by the critics who apparently dies but he comes back to wreak his revenge on all the critics who gave him bad reviews. And he kills them all in the manner of deaths from the plays of Shakespeare. <laughs> it's I, I love that era of Vincent Price, too. Especially the uh, the Dr. Fibes movies are pretty, pretty great. And, um, and of course, uh, House on Haunted Hill. I don't know that that movie is very scary. It has one great scare <laughs> in it, but the the humor in that movie and the writing is so razor sharp. I uh, I just adore it. And of course, anytime you point a camera at that man, he was just brilliant. Oh, he a fantastic actor. I was just watching again the other night on TCM, my favorite channel uh, on TCM, his kind of woman, which is a kind of crime film with Robert Mitchum. And um, Jane Russell, but Price is in it playing a really hammy, conceited actor. And he's so fun. He's having so much fun with it, playing this guy who's just so full of himself that he's showing his latest movie to the people at this Mexican hotel he's staying at. And he's applauding himself. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. I don't think anybody uh, could do conceited he, better he's, than Vincent Price. He's such a fun actor. He didn't take himself seriously, but he took his work seriously. Oh, absolutely. No. Well, sir, hey, I think we're just about reaching the uh, the end of our uh, time here and the end of this chat. Um, can I? Before we go, I was going to mention this briefly. Uh, were you aware and have you seen the uh, stage musical that was based on the Fearless Vampire Killers, which takes its uh, original title, Dance of the Vampires? Uh, no, I didn't know about that. 
Yes. Where, it, uh, let's is, see. is this uh, running currently? Uh, I don't know. I just saw it in passing. Let me look it up again. What a great film. You got a Jewish vampire. You got a gay vampire. You got old musty vampire. It's a great movie. Everybody go out there and rent it and see it on there. On the television, you can get it. And Wikipedia reads, Dance of the Vampires is a musical remake of the 1967 Roman Polanski film of the same name. Uh, Polanski also directed the original German-language production of this musical. Uh, Music was composed by Jim Steinman and orchestrated by Steve Margoshis. And the original German book and lyrics were written by Michael Kuhns. Um, It looks like there were productions starting in 97 and going all the way through 2018. Yeah, it is played in Berlin and Vienna uh, recently. So that's kind of cool. Oh, sounds like it should be playing here. That would be nice. Somebody get out your theater group and get out there. <laughs> sounds terrific. All right, sir. There well, was a, you know, they did, they did a, a musical remake of Reefer, Reefer Madness that I thought was brilliant. Wait, what? If you ever saw that. You're kidding. Yeah. You know the original film, Reefer Madness. Absolutely. Which yeah. is an unintentional unintentional comedy. <laughs> but there was a re- musical remake done a few years ago with, uh, what's his name, Steven Weber. And uh, it's great. <laughs> it's a great picture. I need to look this up. I, I, I've missed so many musicals based on horror films over the years that I wish I could have seen. Uh, just a couple of episodes ago, I was talking with somebody about... Um, Oh, the Fly Opera, the Cronenberg did, and um, damn it, I wish I could have seen that. But uh, it's always strange to me that these things are never recorded for posterity, or you know, just honestly to be shoved out onto Blu-ray and to make a few extra bucks. But you know, um, it would be neat to you know to see them in one way or the other. Certainly. Well, if they don't figure they can make a huge amount of money on it, they're not interested in financing it or something. Which is too bad because art is ephemeral. It will disappear if we don't give it the attention it deserves. And with that, I'll leave you with a reminder of when people ask me, what's your favorite horror movie? And I always tell them, I can't tell you that because I love so many, but I can tell you the scariest film I have ever seen. It's a it's a documentary by the great documentary filmmaker Frederick Weissman called Titicut Follies. That's a disturbing film. Yes, very. Because it's real. There's nothing as horrible in any horror film that you can see as real life and the way people can be. The worst monsters are walking around on the streets today. Well, that's kind of a downer ending. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I can juggle for you if you like, but I don't think that come across on the on the microphone too well. We need a joke. On the we radio. need a joke to end on. We need, we need something light now. Um, I'll tell you what, I will say. Okay, I'll tell you a joke. Here's a joke. What did the snail say who was riding on the back of the tortoise? I, I, I don't know. okay now that is the perfect note to end on i think sir thank you again so much for your time and for being on the show and for choosing thanks for having me 
thanks for choosing such a great film to talk about. Can I ask before we go, can you, uh, do you have any final thoughts on the fearless vampire killers that you would like to send listeners? Actually, can I ask what would Ghostface make of the fearless vampire killers? Something sharp to cut you with. That is that is the perfect answer, I think. All right. And before we go, where can folks find you at online? And what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, well, uh, let's see now. I'm on um, Little Big Awesome on Amazon streaming. I'm Mr. Sprinkles, the pussycat. The pussycat with the skull and crossbones eye patch. That's me. And uh, I'm... Working on producing uh, books on tape right now. And fortunately, the Powerpuff Girls continues to come around. Because it is so much fun to be Mojo. People love Mojo. And so do I. Don't argue with me. (laughs) All right. And uh, where uh, where can folks find you out online? Uh, well, you know, I I don't really have a website, but you can find me on the uh, Wikipedia. I'm on IMDb. Uh, on YouTube, there's a reel of my uh, video game work. Uh, that's something I'm looking forward to is a new Alice game from American McGee. Oh, nice. Hoping I'll be there. Because that was fun being the Cheshire Cat and the Mad Hatter and some other things. So that's basically it. I'm available for weddings and bar mitzvahs and children's uh, birthday parties. You can just contact me and uh, I'll be there. (laughs) All right. Thank you again. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, and use the comment section below. And scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much and have a great weekend. What can you do with something?